0: Okay, so Joshua was full, not half full. It says he was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. God selected, uh, God instructed Moses to choose Joshua as the person who would carry on for him. And so the children of Israel obeyed him because he was the one that God had chosen and uh, they obeyed just as God had, 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 had instructed them. Replacing themselves by training others to become leaders is one of the greatest challenges leaders face. The greatest challenge is to, to, to replace somebody who will replace you as a leader when you move on. And Calvary Bible Church is in the process of that process right now and has been uh, for the last few months. Of of training leaders to be put in place. You see when Pastor Lee retired there was no succession plan in place uh, because the process of the training for someone to step up. You know Pastor Lee always said, and many of you heard him say that uh, when he retired Calvary would not have to get another pastor from somewhere else because that person would be in Calvary. Well, Pastor Lee was the first to admit that that plan didn't go as planned and uh, he was the first to admit that he he failed to accomplish uh, that succession plan and uh, and as a result the leadership is now working that succession plan so that the next leader after the new pastor comes in and he leaves, the plan is that there will be somebody else in Calvary Bible Church who would be able to step in when Pastor Elliot moves off the scene. And so what we see here in terms of what God did with Joshua and Moses is what every church should be doing. Okay? And so replacing themselves by training others to become leaders is one of the greatest uh, challenges leaders face. At some point, countless exceptional undertakings were initiated by a person with immense potential whose life or profession ended before their vision was realized. The responsibility of fulfilling that vision then became that of the person's successor. In Moses' case, that person was Joshua. God had chosen him as the successor. The eventual cutoff date for leadership is what? What is the eventual cutoff date for leadership? Yes. Hmm? Death, exactly. That is the eventual cutoff date for anyone in leadership. Okay, death puts a stop, put an end to that leadership. A lot of people are concerned about what's going to happen to BFM since the visionary, the founder, and the leader is now gone. Well, uh, Miles Monroe had a succession plan in place. He prepared his people in the event that he should move on. And uh, as you listen to Dave Burroughs, he will tell you that you know they're going to go on because miles had prepared them for for an event like this okay and so this is the kind of thing that god did with joshua and uh in the event because god knew that moses was not going to be around forever the willingness and the ability of a leader to train someone else for this for his position is one of the best tests of leadership it's the best test of leadership, not a person in leadership, hog in the position of leadership for themselves thinking that they're going to be here forever. But the best test is for that person to train somebody else and this is what God is teaching us through the lives of Moses and Joshua. It's a biblical concept to train others to take over. An excellent decision was made by Moses when he chose Joshua as as his assistant top-notch decision. Couldn't have made any better decision than that. God himself later confirmed the choice that Moses made when he instructed Moses to commission Joshua as his successor. So Moses saw the need to train somebody else. Moses knew that he was not going to be around forever. And if God forbid that the bus should suddenly move up the scene, somebody else need to be in place. And so he chose Joshua. And God said, Good move, Moses. Good choice. Good decision. We see that in Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27. If we can have someone read from verse 15 to verse 23. Numbers chapter 27, verse 15 to 23.
1: <clears throat> Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, be the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, bring to over the congregation, who will go out and come in before them, and who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shelter. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of man, the man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And the disciple. And, 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 and so the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of man, the man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Stand before Eliezer, the priest, and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority him, in order that like all the congregation and the sons of Israel may be ready. And all. shall stand before Eliezer, the priest, who shall inquire for him by the day. judgment of the ruling before the Lord. At his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. Moses did just like the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before his own, the priest, and before all the he laid his hands him and permission him just as the Lord
0: has through Moses okay so we see that God sanctions uh, the successor that Moses had selected and God gave him the process that he should go through in order that God's stamp of approval would be on this, this uh, chosen successor. so Joshua had a key role in the exodus from Egypt. He was the only person allowed to go with Moses halfway up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. The only person. Nobody else. Didn't even go all the way. God allowed him to go halfway. And I believe that, is a, that was a part of the training process that God was using or that Moses was using uh, to show Joshua that he was going to be responsible for leading these people at some particular point in time. And so he went halfway up to Moses, up, up the mountain with him. Among the 12 scouts sent to the promised land, the first time Joshua and Caleb were the only two to do what? Spot. Huh? To do what? To remember, 12 people went, 12, 12 men were sent. What was the difference between those 12 men and these two men?
2: There's, they came <laughs>
0: They were the ones who gave a more encouraging report. Okay, all the other fellas were negative. Boy, them fellas they do big, them giants, and giants in our land, they can overrun us, they do big for us. And they came up with every excuse in the book as to why they cannot go and take the land. Joshua and Caleb were the only two who came back with encouraging reports. They said, yeah, we can do this. You know, because they knew that they weren't doing it on their own, they were not doing it in their own strength. They knew that God was with them. And so the scriptures portray him as a constant shadow of Moses. Moses had a shadow, it was Joshua. Living with Moses and experiencing firsthand what it meant to lead God's people was part of Joshua's basic training. Okay, everything that Moses did, Joshua looked, observed and learned. Because Moses had selected him to take over at some particular point in time and so there's no better example of modeling than what we see in the life of Moses and Joshua perfect good example of how one prepares another for leadership and so we notice then he had some he had some strengths and some successes that is Joshua first of all he was Moses' assistant and successor okay Secondly, he was one of only two adults to enter the Promised Land who had actually experienced Egyptian slavery. He had actually gone through the slavery and he was only one of two adults to enter the Promised Land. Everybody has God killed out because all they're complaining, they're griping, they're they're carrying on. He was able to lead the Israelites into their God-given homeland because of the wisdom that God had given them and his obedience. And then he was a military strategist with great brilliancy. Okay, he was what you call a top-notch general. Good at strategizing in terms of military. And then he also uh, was faithful and uh, this is the most important one. He was faithful in asking God's direction whenever he faced challenges. Now notice, he was a... Brilliant military strategist. But how do you think he became one? Hmm? Watching Moses, yeah. But by faithfully asking for God's direction. Whenever he faced challenges. God was the person that he went to. When Obama needed to go into a particular area to, to do whatever militarily, he calls upon his generals they call the Security Council, to get these generals together and they say, OK, what, what am I supposed to do? Now, you remember when all this ISIS thing started and, Amer- and the U.S. wanted to go help, Obama kept saying, no boots on the ground, no boots on the ground, no boots on the ground, no, no Americans are going to go on the ground and fight. Well, the military generals are now saying, boy, you know, we're going to have to put some boots on the ground. And Obama has been saying all along, but who knows better than the generals? Okay, They are the ones who strategize They are the ones who know what to do And so uh, Joshua was a great military strategist He had great brilliancy Because he was always faithful In asking for God's directions Whenever he faced Any kind of challenge He never left God out He didn't lean on his own understanding Remember the proverb tells us that Do not lean on your own understanding He's a good example of one who never did that Okay, he always went to God, okay Lord, we got another challenge here, what am I supposed to do? Okay, he even didn't count on the last victory that he had. You know, I did this, and I did that, and I did that, and as a result, we won, I think I'm going to do that again. No, he doesn't do that. He goes to God every single time, and he says, Lord, I remember how you delivered us the last time, what are we going to do this time? God was the one behind his military brilliance. Not he himself. And he was wise enough to know that that's what he needed to do. So what does his life then teach us in terms of the wisdom of God and how we are to apply the wisdom that God gives us so that we can be like this wise man, this wise leader named Joshua. Well, one of the things that his life teaches us is that good training and support is often the result of successful leadership. Good training and support is often the result of successful leadership. It also teaches us that the person we use as a pattern for our lives will greatly impact us. Whoever we look at to model our lives after, that's the person who's going to have the greatest impact on our life. And we see that... Uh, in light of, in the aftermath of the tragedy, on last week's Sunday, we have many people who talk about how Miles Monroe impacted their life for the better. And they look at their lives now and they see uh, that they are where they are because of the impact that he had on their lives. That the best model for us is a person committed to God. Now that's where the line is drawn. Because a lot of people follow individuals because they have certain qualities about them that make them successful. But the best quality that one person, that a person can have, if you want to look to a person for for leadership as a model, is a person whose life is committed to God. Their life is not committed to their successes, what they have accomplished. But a person who is truly 110% committed to God, because you know that that person is doing the right thing. Because they're committed to God. In other words, that person goes to God before they do anything and ask God, Lord, what should I do? God instructs them, they take that move and they become who they are because of what God has done. You know, more of the, the, the encouraging comments that I've heard uh, in tribute uh, to those persons who passed away uh, was, to God be the glory God getting the glory out of what those persons lives turned out to be and how they impacted others with their lives. Whenever I hear a person giving tribute and they don't mention giving God glory, yeah, I don't pay much attention to that. But whenever you hear a person saying, "Well, you know, I praise God or I thank God, I give God the glory for, that's what you want to listen to. Because you know that that person is attributing whatever that person became, not to that individual. But to God. God made them what they were. God gave them what they had. God attributed, God is attributed with everything that they turned out to be or to have. And so it's important that we take note of that. So what is the application principle then for us from the life of Joshua that we can take and sink our teeth into and apply to our own lives so that we can be uh, uh, following the model of this great man Well, Who was Moses Who is the Moses in your life Do you have a Moses in your life All of us should have a Moses Who is the Joshua in your life Should have a Joshua You are included in the procession Of the continuing work of God in the world We all are we are included in that procession. As long as we're on desert, we're included in that. And while we are using the lives of others to model your life, others are shaping their lives after your life. You see when you while you're looking to some for uh, somebody to follow their lifestyle, somebody looking at you. Now you don't know who's looking at you. And you probably never will. Eternity probably would reveal who has been watching your life to model their lives and that's why we need to be careful how we live our lives because many times people's lives are shattered uh, because they look at an individual and they, they, that person became, become a god to them and that person falls or messes up and their lives are devastated because of the wrong influence Regarding those who, want to, want, who you want to be like, how important is God to them? The person who you are watching the more of your life after. Do you know how important God is to them?
2: In Paris, the one I call I've never seen a Christian again in my own life. Even I've talked about God. I've never seen that for my God. Mm-hmm. And as I walk in her place, I say, God, I am going to do a scene in this world. When I walk in my house, her place in her place was... A table, a chair, and books. Nothing else, only Jesus. Amen. And I told that man, I had a garage and scrubbed, paid them out. I'll never have
0: a house unless I have a permanent. God is faith. I've seen God know. Amen. So that's, that's important that you see God in the person that you're following. Mm-hmm. You don't want to see nothing else but God. Right. Everything else is secondary. Okay. Talk to mm.
2: Sometimes I go there And talk to my but She said The God not You He He's with you <laughs> <laughs> So she was up there. Mm. Oh God
0: <laughs> Next question then Are those Watching you See God Mirrored In all areas Of your life Are those Watching you See God Mirrored in all areas of your life that's the question that you need to answer okay because this is what uh, Moses and Joshua did ask God to direct you to a dependable Moses ask him to make you a good Joshua that's how we can apply the principles of Joshua's life to our lives Joshua was a great leader and he was called wise in the scriptures. The next great uh, 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 wise leader that we see was David. David was also considered a wise leader and uh, there are many passages that uh, is, where story, the story of his life is recorded and for the sake of time we won't go into them but we look at a few, one or two of them uh, his source of wisdom was reverence for God And he never let his failures get in the way of that. His source of wisdom was reverence or respect or honor for God. And nothing in his life he allowed to get in the way of that. 2 Samuel chapter 14 verse 20. Someone read that please. 2 Samuel chapter 14 verse 20.
2: bring about this change of affairs your servant Joab has done this thing but my lord is
0: wise according to the wisdom of the angel of God to know everything that is in the earth ok now David was remembered as a as what what do we remember, remember David as
2: shepherd.
0: a shepherd what else warrior, warrior. warrior. what else king king musician yeah a man after God's own heart what stood out in his life in his younger days more than anything else Goliath the giant killer okay that's the first thing we see the first entrance of David on the scene he was a giant killer before that he was just a little shepherd boy but when he encountered Goliath he became a giant killer, and the people created a song as a result. What was the song? Only a lot called
2: David. Hmm? Only
0: a called David. Only a called David. Okay. And then the people started saying, "David is what? What? Uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his boy." And that didn't go too well with Saul. You know, Saul said, "This fellow getting all the glory here, man. He he putting me, he making me look bad." And so David. Uh, is remembered, uh, whenever we hear the name David, we think of a shepherd, a giant killer, poet, a king, and Jesus' ancestor. Remember whenever we read of the ancestry of of Jesus? David is right there in in there. And so that is David in a nutshell. One of the greatest men of the Old Testament. But he's also remembered in a negative way. And how is that? Right, Uriah is the story of Uriah. He's remembered as an adulterer. Okay? He's remembered as a liar. He's remembered as a betrayer. And of course, he's remembered as a murderer. Okay? So there's some negatives and some positives about them. David is first remembered by the positive qualities of uh, qualities all of us would like to have rather than the negative qualities that may be true of any one of us no effort by God in the Bible is made to hide the negative things that David did you know God didn't didn't cover it up you know in our in our world today whenever somebody does something wrong or bad the first inclination is going cover it up cover it up don't let nobody know about that don't talk about that don't write about that okay okay Ladies uh, Cover it up But notice God isn't like that God made no effort in the Bible To hide Any of David's failures And he's on the list of 12 people called wise In the Bible Of the 12 people he's on that list Being fully knowledgeable About how much we have However what, what was most remembered And respected What David is most remembered and respected for is his heart for God. God himself described him in that way. Being fully knowledgeable about how much we have in common with David's failures more than with his greatness should make us all more curious to find out what made God refer to David as a man after my own heart. That's God's words. Acts chapter 13 verse 22. God said that. Nobody said that about what God said. God said, David is a man after my own heart. Now look at, think about that now. In light of all his failures and all the negatives, all the bad things that he did. And uh, uh, the actual verse says, the full verse, Acts 13, 22. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David. Acts 13.22 But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Can God say that about us? Any one of us? That's what he said about David. In light of what he had done, more than anything else, David had an inflexible belief in God's faithful and forgiving nature. In other words, there was absolutely nothing that could shake David's faith in God. Nothing. And that's probably why God could say that about him. You know, sometimes people would... uh, talk about an individual uh, who had a good reputation and someone would say something bad about them and the person who, people who thought good about that person often start to think then, well, you know, he probably ain't all that and a bag of chips, okay he probably ain't all that he's cracked up to be or people say that he is, but David was the kind of person who had an inflexible belief in God's faithfulness and God's forgiving nature, he lived his life with Great enthusiasm. One of the things about David was he was quick to confess his sins, right? He didn't lie or try to justify what he did or try to cover it up or try to explain it away or try to rationalize it. He was quick to confess his sins when he committed sin and that's probably one of the things that God admired about David to use an expression that he used about him. He expressed heartfelt confession and real repentance, true genuine repentance. Okay, God's forgiveness was never taken lightly or his blessings abused by David. In other words, David never took God for granted. Okay, he never said, you know I could do this, God could forgive me anyway. Okay, he never had that attitude about confession and about God's forgiveness. God's give and take response was never was to never withhold from David either his forgiveness or the consequences of his actions and so as a result David experienced the joy of forgiveness even when the consequences of his sins brought him tremendous suffering he experienced joy in the midst of suffering because he trusted God. Unlike believers today who have a tendency to get these two reversed. More often than not, believers would prefer to avoid the consequences than choose joyful forgiveness. See, there's always joy in genuine re- repentance. Joy for forgiveness and gender is always joy. But sometimes believers today miss out on that joyfulness of forgiveness because... They don't want to be. They don't want to genuinely confess. They want to beat around the bush, so to speak, rather than coming up front. David was quick to confess. He was able to. He was always ready to say, "Lord, I've sinned. I've messed up. Yep, it's me. I've done. I've done it." He, he, he was not one to say, "Well, because so and so did that, I caused me to do this." He was never the one to blame anybody else, and he was. Adam and Eve grandchild do. Just like all of us. Okay? Many of us have a tendency to go in the path of our grandparents. Alright? Like what Adam did when God confronted him and he blamed Eve. And we have a tendency to do that. But David was upfront. He was willing to confess his sins. And as a result, he was able to, to experience joyful forgiveness. Another major difference between believers today and David... Is that although he sinned to a great extent, he did not sin over and over again. Even though he sinned greatly, he did not sin over and over and over again. He accepted the suffering because he learned from his mistakes. And that's important. We need, you know, a lot of people do the same things over and over again, they make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And what does that tell us? It tells us that they don't learn from their mistakes. If they keep doing it all over again, it tells us they don't learn, right? We gotta stop there, because we, we're gone. When we come back, we're gonna look at some of his failings and faults and his successes, and what we, what his life teaches us. But for now, our time is gone, so we gotta stop. But keep in, keep in mind how David differed from us today.